0: Welcome to the What to Read Next podcast. This podcast is hosted by Laura Amin, a voracious reader of romance and young adult novels. In this podcast, Laura interviews fellow readers and authors and asks them for book recommendations of what we should read next. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the What to Read Next podcast. I am so happy to have you back. Today, we have an author interview with one of my favorite romance authors, Serena Bowen. In this episode, we chat about her writing process and her books. Now, let's get to the interview. Hi, Serena. Welcome to What to Read Next podcast. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I live in northern New England where it is very, very cold today and we have a lot of new snow. Mm. And yeah, and here with my terrible Internet connection, I write, um, I've written about, I'm
0: closing in on 30 romance titles gosh I love it and I've read pretty much most of your work which is so exciting oh thank you yeah <laughs> you're one of my go-to authors that I, I discovered you a couple years ago and I went through the backlist I started with the Ivy Years then Broken Bruisers and True North and then I just went through all the series all together oh
1: thank you you know the Ivy Years is about to turn five. Oh my gosh that's amazing
0: Congratulations. It is. I
1: feel like it really shouldn't feel it be five years, but it has. And yeah, that the those books changed my life. They made me into a successful selling author instead of you know just hopeful. So
0: I love it. That's so amazing. And I love those books. They're like my go to recommendation for hockey romance. If you're interested in hockey, new an adult, and um, the Ivy Years is one of my go to recommendations. Well, thank you. Yeah, so we're going to talk about your writing process, about books, and your books. So, in terms of your writing process, do you set a plot, or do you prefer going where the idea takes you?
1: Well, um, I definitely have a plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I used to think of myself as a plotter. Okay. But now I have come to realize that my process is like a little looser than that. Mm-hmm. I know what the major points of drama are going to be, but I don't always know how I'm getting there. Okay. And the day that I discovered I was not actually a plotter, I was when I was co-writing a novel with the wonderful Sarah Mayberry, mm-hmm. and she showed me what it means to be a plotter.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So you are. Were- it is. You were able to well, think like when you wanted one thing, and it was completely different process altogether.
1: Yeah. Well, she also writes for television. She writes for um the most popular soap opera in Australia. It's called mm-hmm. Neighbours, and it's been on TV for years. Yeah. And her process was formed in a writer's room where mm-hmm. you didn't have all day to sit around and think your thoughts. You know, you mm-hmm. had to put some things on paper and then go back. And anyway, so writing with her was so much fun. And mm-hmm. I learned a ton. And I also learned a ton about myself. And that's what happens when you co-write with something is you, you realize again, that there isn't just one way to do this job.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's, that's the beauty of, I think, the beauty of co-writing because you get to see other people's style and you get to adopt what you like, but you can also leave the rest. Right. That's awesome. So what, according to you, is the hardest thing about writing?
1: Well, you know, unless you're plotting a novel with Sarah Mayberry, the hardest thing about writing is definitely the solitude and the having to make decisions in a vacuum. Mm. So the lack of feedback is definitely a challenge. You have to, you know, make all your mistakes and then fix them all yourself. And in fact, as soon as I finish a co-written project, because I have quite a few of those, Mm-hmm. The the next book is always so much harder because mm. there isn't anyone who's going to come along and say, "Hey, you know what? You could you could get this easier if you just made this one little change."
0: Mm. That's so powerful. Yeah, I can imagine how hard it can be just being a vacuum of just writing, yep. running, writing, and then trying to go back to your writing and be like, "Is this working? Is not working?" Um, do you share your work along the way, or do you wait till it's completed? Well, I
1: like sharing my work along the way, but the truth is it's really difficult to do that, yeah, you can't always have just somebody sitting there on demand who understands the process and understands the way your books usually unfold
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. um anyway, so it's really hard to get amazing advice um when you want it, like I have authors I can call upon to read for me, mm-hmm. but I I won't be able to say, you know, next Tuesday at 4.30, I'm going to have, you know, four chapters because paste is a tricky thing to figure out. And then so once in a while, I'm gifted with the ability to, you know, for someone to read along as I go and to help Mm me. Mm -hmm. Um, But help also comes in other ways. So it's more common for me to be stuck on something or just worried about something and for me to call someone who I trust, like maybe Sarah Mayberry or Elle Kennedy, um, and sometimes um, other people who don't even write books, and just explain the problem. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, so here's the issue. I've got this and I've got that, and these things are working, but, but I'm not sure about this other thing. And then, so even somebody who hasn't read the book can still be very helpful with asking the right questions.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. That's really powerful. Just to get, just to problem solve, just kind of like workshop the problem. Exactly. That's awesome. So what would you say is the easiest aspect of writing?
1: Oh, well, you know, that I don't have a boss standing over me asking me mm-hmm. when, you know, when something's going to be ready. And yeah. to, to be perfectly clear, this job that I have is one of the most self-centered things you can do with your life, like you know it's very self-serving in some ways, and mm-hmm. I'm not blind to that you know I'm not resuscitating people in an operating room or <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it's it's you know I make all my own choices and you you get to be a little spoiled
0: mm, but don't you have like readers who are eagerly waiting for your next release and they're just waiting and asking for you to chunk more work out does it feel like you know, I would say add a pressure to your work or, or you just disregard it and just follow your lead?
1: Well, the truth is <clears throat> difficult, honestly, because that kind of pressure actually really does get to me. So mm-hmm. it's not like I feel like I exist in a bubble. Mm-hmm. It's just that um, ultimately I do get to make all my own decisions. Yeah. And – um the pressure of other voices is problematic for, for a few reasons. And mm-hmm. um, so there's this thing that happens when you're writing a novel and there are days when you're drafting and you just have to let it all hang out and try every stupid thing that comes into your head and just be really non-judgmental.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there are other days where you have to reverse that process
0: mm-hmm. and you have
1: to read what you've got so far and you have to judge it on its merits and be highly critical so there are these days when you take an in breath and you, you know, have to analyze yourself to death. And then days mm-hmm. when it's just like an outgust and you get to try all this stuff and not judge yourself. And mm-hmm. then the problem is on a day when you cannot afford to be critical, you log mm-hmm. in to Facebook and you see somebody being critical of some little decision you made in some book, or they want a book that you didn't plan on writing, or they're demanding something and And it's like the wrong moment to hear that feedback because Mm. you need to have an open mind. And honestly, people will say anything to me. (laughs) Sometimes. So 95% of all the things people say to me are wonderful and supportive. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's those few others that really stick with you. And sometimes I look at email that is downright rude. Like, Mm -hmm. where is this third book in the hymn series that I never ever said I was writing and why can't I have it you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and those emails are you know they're a little hard to take some days and some days I I just smile
0: so how do you organize yourself as a writer how do you keep track of your ideas or inspirations or characters
1: you know I wish I could tell you that I was really good at this Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's kind of a problem um for example i I'm publishing this week Overnight Sensation, Mm -hmm. which is a Brooklyn Bruiser's story about a character named Jason Castro, who is really a wonderful guy. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: know he's wonderful because he's actually appeared in five other books of mine, Mm -hmm. including Rookie Move, Hard Hitter, Pipe Dreams, Bountiful, and Brooklyn Air. Mm -hmm. And so when I started his book, And of course, for three books at least, I never knew he was getting a story, so I didn't think about it enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was mistake number one. And then when I sat down to write this one, I asked my lovely assistant, Natasha, for a favor. Could you please take these five manuscripts and search for everything Castro ever said or did and paste it into one document. So I can read it all in one spot. And guess what? (laughs) It was 22 pages when she was
0: finished. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I had just a lot of material about this character and some of it was a little bit contradictory. And, um, I basically had to reconcile everything I knew about him. So an author told me once, and sadly I don't remember which one. She said, Structure is freedom. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that when some of the decisions are already made for you, then mm-hmm. it's easier to find your path. Mm-hmm. And so I did have some structure around him, you know, where he'd grown up. Um, and he had, I found in my notes, a habit of eating before each game, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with strawberry jam. It had to be strawberry. Mm -hmm. And I found all these wonderful little quirks that I'd given him without ever giving it a second thought. And I can tell you for sure that that peanut butter sandwich comes up a lot (laughs) in Mm. this book. And it was so much fun to go back and use that. Mm. Uh, So I had a great time with, with the little things, but I didn't organize this very well ahead of time, even though I do have a system, I have these binders basically for each series and I will put things in them like how old is everybody, especially with the true North series. Cause it mm-hmm. spans a number of years. So I do have one accounting where I'm like, okay, at the beginning of book four, how old is everyone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how old are they in relation to each other? And then I really had to use that when I was working on book six, um, mm-hmm. which went back to visit them in high school in a few flashback scenes, which were super fun to write. But I needed to know, okay, she was in ninth grade when her brother was a senior. and anyway
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that's the the difficulty of organization.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I think it's like, you have so many details and so many, so many things mentioned in the different books, and it just, it all adds up. And then putting it all together into cohesive material can be a challenge. Yep. So what's the favorite character you've written?
1: Well, obviously, with with 30 books, I, I don't have a favorite character. But I will say that I have, I'm partial to the ones who revealed themselves to me in a very complete way, Mm -hmm. even as I was beginning the project. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, when I started writing this book called Coming In From the Cold, I knew exactly who Dane was already. Mm
0: -hmm. I knew
1: exactly what his problem was and how he felt about it. And that made it really easy for me to love him and to have a lot of empathy for him because I knew where he was coming from. I didn't have to work for it. Mm. And um, so, but not every book does that. In fact, um, there's another, there's a writer that I love named Kristen Higgins. And I was listening to a speech that she was giving and she said she doesn't know her characters until about halfway through the book. Which, And I completely understand. Mm-hmm. I have ha- had lots of characters that I didn't understand well enough until the book was half written. And then you have to go back and you have to revisit what you wrote and make sure that it all aligns with that person. But Mm -hmm. a couple more characters that gave themselves to me easily were Graham in Understatement of the Year. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I started writing Understatement of the Year, I already knew Graham and I already knew exactly what his conflict would be. And that book came really easily to me because mm-hmm. I knew what, ha- what he had to go through to get to the last page. And similarly, Corey, in The Year We Fell Down, I, mm-hmm. I felt like I knew Corey right away and I knew Hartley right away. And also that book delivered itself to me in a pretty comfortable fashion because I knew them as people. So I already knew the sorts of decisions they would make, even if I didn't know what every scene was going to be.
0: That's amazing. So it's, you know, the muse shows up and you just, the character reveals itself and it's a process that feels easy, even though some of the characters, they may take some time to kind of like dig in and to figure out who they are.
1: Yeah. So I don't think of myself as a brilliant plotter Mm -hmm. in terms of twists and, you know, so I always get where I need to go. I always end up with a plot that's satisfying to me, mm-hmm. but it's it's often the thing that I'm stressed out about. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chuck Wendig has this idea that characters poop plot is how he puts it. And if you understand your character going in, then the plot comes more easily because their decision-making process makes sense to you and you don't have to sit there and wonder.
0: Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's so inspiring. So when inspired you to write True North series and are we going to have more books in the series or is books like the final book?
1: Um, Well, True North was sort of inevitable for mm-hmm. me as an author, because here I had all these hockey books and I love hockey, especially college hockey. Mm-hmm. And, um, but True North is about farmers and Vermont mm-hmm. food producers And I was very much afraid that people would not follow me from hockey to farmers, but it, it turns out they would. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I wrote true North is because that is really, really what I'm surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And we buy hard cider from an artisanal cider maker
0: Mm -hmm. that is
1: nearby. And, cider making has always been interesting to me and we have 50 fruit trees on our property and it's just that is we're not farmers and we don't make cider but um Mm -hmm. but all of the things that happen in the true north book like he kills the pig you know we Mm -hmm. buy our meat from farmers and it's all just very familiar to me and it's very interesting to me and here's a secret before I was writing fiction full time, I was mm-hmm. a food writer for a while. So oh. I would actually be interviewing the farmer about the process, and then writing about local, the local food chain, and things like that. So I, I just already knew that Milu and I was really happy to write about it.
0: Mm, I love it. That's amazing. You know, love for me is one of my favorite series. I think it's just a departure from the hockey. I love hockey. Um, but it was a departure from the hockey, and I felt like it was interesting for me to to be transported to a different setting. Um, I live in New York City, and so for me, being transported to Vermont and to have a slower pace, but just getting to know about the cider, I get to know about the characters. It was just like for me, it inspired me to take trust up upstate um to go apple picking to do different things that i wouldn't normally do um thanks to this book that was like that was a series that i found that it was actually i loved it and it's one of those series it was one of my favorite series that you've written so far
1: well thank you i mean if it's true that characters poop plot then so does setting
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so you can get a lot of plot i realized that um there are a couple of books of mine where some action hinges on the fact that mobile phones don't work up here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hope people don't think that that's devicey because it, it is absolutely my life. So Mm -hmm. yesterday I had to log into um, a bunch of different global Amazon accounts Mm -hmm. to make a little change. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: every time I did that, Um, Amazon wanted to do a two-factor authentication of my, Mm. So they're like, we've just sent a text to the phone ending in blah, blah, blah. So I'm outside standing there in my boots, waving my phone in the air, like a maniac trying Mm. to get the text message so that I could log into my own Amazon account. I mean, you know, setting definitely influences what can happen in a book. And One of the advantages of getting old, honestly, is that I have lived in many places. I have now a series set in Michigan with Tanya Mm -hmm. um, where I grew up. I grew up in Western Michigan and I lived in New York City for 16 years, which is Mm -hmm. why it's not difficult for me to set a book there as well my Brooklyn series. I never lived in Brooklyn, but I lived in Manhattan for 16 years.
0: Mm.
1: And so, yeah, that it does get easier to do those things Mm. and to set books in places where you've lived.
0: Yeah. I I don't know. For me, just your books transform me to a transform transport me to a different place and it just if there's a, something about the setting that there's the feel the look the, the information that the character is experiencing um I can identify like I can identify with the Brooklyn series because I live in New York City um but the True North series for me was was one of those things where I realized I, I had to book a trip upstate right away after reading the series I was like I need to go apple picking I've never been apple picking I need to do that and that was something else oh. That was something unique about it. That it just inspired me to take an action. Um, not every book does that. So I was, was kind of like exciting about it.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, romance is not a genre that often leans on setting. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of romances where setting isn't quite as near to the forefront. And that's, mm-hmm. um, and there are readers who actually like that you know they don't want to take time on the setting so it's it's just a choice some people love setting and some people don't but I definitely find that it helps me build a world where people want to return and oh and to answer your question I hope that there will be at least two more true north books and I have um it's likely that the next one would belong to Dylan Shipley
0: oh that's exciting
1: yeah, he's much younger than his siblings, and he has yeah. a twin sister, Daphne. So Dylan and Daphne might be next, but um, but it's not a done deal because yeah. sometimes, you know, ideas take me in different directions. So mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to discuss upcoming stuff mm-hmm. um, because sometimes I change my mind and then people get mad. <laughs> but anyway, here we are. I think Dylan is going to get a book.
0: Oh, that's exciting. And let's take your time, take as long as you need. And if the idea takes you to a different place, that is okay too. So it's great. It's a great six book series. So, someone who's thinking about reading, I encourage you to venture read it. It's a great six series book. Thank you. So, talk to us about Ornice in Session. What's this book all about? You mentioned it's, it's Castro's book, which he has shown up in the past five books of the Brooklyn Brewster series and Bountiful. Um, but Talk to us about this book. What is who's, who's what's the storyline or what's the trope that you're 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 taking?
1: Well, um this book definitely looks at the bigger world of professional sports and the mm-hmm. pressures on people in it. Mm-hmm. And so when I wrote Brooklyn Air, I gave Rebecca this irritating sidekick named Heidi Joe. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the book, you like Heidi Jo a little more, but she's a little bit of a flake and um, she's funny. So I I actually didn't even realize that she was going to be the heroine here, but I thought, who's she going to irritate next? (laughs) (laughs) And she is very irritating to Mr. Castro, but he's also very attracted to her. Hmm. And um, so I found once I gave this idea five seconds worth of consideration, mm-hmm. that they had a lot of natural chemistry and a lot mm-hmm. of things to say to one another. And, um, the person who read this book, um, either while I was still working on it. Yeah. While I was still working on it, um, L Kennedy read it in sections. Mm-hmm. And the first thing she said to me was Heidi Joe is my favorite female hero. You know, my favorite heroine of yours in any book ever. And then, so that's when I knew I was on the right track.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heidi Joe is an interesting character, so I'm looking forward to hearing her hearing her story and getting to know her a little bit better. Um, well, was-
1: there's this moment in Brooklyn Air where Rebecca learns that Heidi Joe's father is somebody very powerful,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, it turns out that that's a problem for Heidi Joe, and and the way she has met and interacted with men in the past and they're Mm -hmm. all afraid of her daddy. (laughs) So, so that's one of her major problems, but she, she is a hoot. I had a blast writing this book. There's a funny scene with a Zamboni. There's a funny scene. um, I will just mention that one of the things I did when I was researching this book was to watch YouTube videos of mascots getting in fights. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's. I had a really good time, um, so I I hope readers will have a good time too.
0: I will. I've. I feel like when a writer has a good time writing a story, it can fill it, it. You can fill it in the writing, and it, I it hope so. Like fun and light and just awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So I got a question about hockey in your books. How much homework do you do when it comes to writing about hockey? Um. Well.
1: I do some. Okay. Um, mostly, I want to know what the rules are because yeah. wherever there are rules in a system, <clears throat> that's where the drama comes from. hmm And so, of course, I want to get the rules right on the face of it because I don't want my readers who are, you know, huge hockey fans to – um, to just say, Oh, you did that wrong. Like that's bad. That takes people out of the story. And of course, I have made errors in the past. Mm-hmm. But but the rules aren't just important for realism, they're also important for finding those points of pressure um that make the story interesting. So I've used hockey rules and regulations and traditions in lots of different ways to manufacture. Difficulty and drama and plot form all of my characters.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a hockey fan, but I love hockey romans, and so it's kind of the things where I realize I'm like, oh, it pushes me to maybe actually watch a hockey game. Um, but I love the way the writing gets included. That's like one of the things I love. I love the fights. I love hearing about the enforcers. I love hearing about the whole the pregame process and what does that look like. So it's kind of like I love when authors incorporate the game into the book.
1: Yeah, me, me too. I, I will say that um, one issue I had is that I was very familiar with college hockey, and mm-hmm. there's pretty great college hockey near me, so I will go and watch all the time. We mm-hmm. I, we all go, my family. It's terrific. But then when I decided to write an NHL series, then I actually needed to do more homework because mm. some of the rules are different. And, for example, there's no fighting in college hockey. It's not legal. Hmm if you start a fight in a college hockey game, you get ejected.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: So that's honestly wonderful because fighting is not, you know, healthy for,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for people. And, um, I'm not somebody who's a big fan of the fights in hockey. I'm only a Mm -hmm. fan of them so long as people don't come away from it with a brain injury. And, um, Anyway, so I had to think about all the ways that pro hockey is different Mm -hmm. from college hockey um, when I was making that transition.
0: Mm, Yeah, I can imagine. So what type of books do you read or do they influence your writing? If so, what way?
1: Well, I find that I can't really read contemporary romance Mm -hmm. because it's too much like my day job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I can't shut off my analytical brain when I'm reading anything anymore. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: I also don't want those, others, those other authors' voices in my head when I'm writing my own contemporary books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that means that I end up reading a lot of women's fiction. Okay. And I read um, sometimes thrillers, and I will read historical romance because that's oh. just different. Like it tastes mm-hmm. different and it sounds different. And so um, the last book that I enjoyed was The Keeper of Lost Things by Ruth Hogan. Mm-hmm. What's that and I thought that that was a terrific book. And there is a lovely romance in it. It's just that it isn't strictly a romance. And um, and I thought it was terrific. Lots of snappy dialogue and some fun British humor. And it was just, a, it was a joy.
0: Mm. Oh, I'm going to pick that one up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Tell us where we can find you online.
1: Oh, well, I'm so easy to find online. Um, SerenaBowen.com is a really terrific resource. I update my website all the time. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I've been having a lot of fun on Instagram lately at Serena.Bowen. And I have a reader group on Facebook called Serendipity, which is like S-A-R-I-N-Dipity
0: love it. Thank you so much for being in the show.
1: Oh, it was entirely my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Serena,
0: for a great interview. For a detailed list of books mentioned in this podcast, please visit whattorenextblog.com slash 93. If you purchase a book through the links in the show notes, you will be supporting the What to next blog. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to this podcast to wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.